What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> He's a good one. Pull him in and use him on some stuff. Yeah, we, I like Brace a lot. We actually used, we did a ride along with him. Yeah. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that today. We say we just get going, Lee. All right. All right. I'm Jay Swinniger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. And today's guest, Marcus Bowling. Nice to be here. Marcus, so you're with the law enforcement division. Yes, correct. What is your job title? Tell me what you do exactly. Um, I've been a conservation officer for 21 years, and here over the last year or two, I've switched over to doing the boating education coordinator role, okay. uh, which teaches the boating education course uh, for the state of Kentucky and, and helps coordinate some boating safety stuff. So the boater education course, who, who all goes through that? Um, basically, if you're from the ages of 12 to 17 and you want to operate a boat that's 10 horsepower or larger by yourself, you actually have to have your boating education certificate to be allowed to do it. Okay. Now, if you're with an adult or um, have somebody else who has the boating education card, you don't have to have it. But that's the primary uh, focus of the boating education course. So back uh, 19 years ago, I guess that's, in a way, I did that at conservation camp. I did too. Yeah. I got my boating patch. In yeah. a roundabout, that was 19 years ago. <laughs> and that's the first time I ever drove a tiller. And I didn't realize everything's opposite. Even with even with all the boating I do, you don't want me on a tiller hand. <laughs> I'm like, oh, whoop, oh, that's right. I gotta go this way to go. Yeah. You pull it left to go right. You pull it right to go left. I yeah, didn't get I need it a at steering first. wheel. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it at first. But I came home. I was like, I drove a boat. I maybe a it didn't happen to me. Maybe it's because I when I was 12, I never had driven something with a steering wheel, so none of it made sense. You know, I didn't have anything opposite to compare it to. But so I along, love camp. Along with the boater education course. I see you have notes written down over there. You also, I'm sure, are well on the loop as far as accidents and, and things that are going on in the state. Yeah, this year, this year's been been a hard year for us just yeah. because of COVID-19 yeah. and everybody going to the water. When you got more people going to the water, of course, that's going to increase your number of accidents and fatalities. So it's it's been a hard year. Yeah, I can. Mm -hmm. I mean, they say in hunting, participation is the number one factor in harvest. I'd say that it. Unfortunately, it goes the other way with accidents mm -hmm. participate. But I mean, just like when you're hunting, you can do things to help make yourself more successful. And when you're boating, I'm sure that you can do things to help keep yourself out of the, and that's part of what you have jotted down on the board over there yep. is uh, a couple of notes and a couple of tips as far as keeping yourself safe. I'll tell you what, I was in a spot yesterday where I was looking at the water and you know what, you guys both fish, so you know, reading water, you can read the current, kind of see where it's going. and. You think about if I was to fall in right there, where would what would I, where would I end up, or what would I be able to do? And we went down to Wolf Creek Dam yesterday to target sturgeon, and we were fishing right there next to the generators. And I was looking, the water comes out and it's going downstream, but there's kind of a back eddy where it pulls back oh, yeah. around the side of the dam and it's pushing back into the generators. I've cast there hundreds of times. It's we're, a good spot, spot to fish. Yeah, well, it's a great spot to fish, apparently. <laughs> I mean, yesterday was my first time going, but I. <laughs> uh, After this, you'll be down to be 20 deep. <laughs> yeah. She's begging me to go back uh, tomorrow. It's like, she was just complaining about not having money to were buy stuff. Were y'all at the steps? Is that where y'all are at? No, we, yeah, basically. She was complaining about not having money to buy stuff, and then she's trying to get me to take off work and go fishing tomorrow. I was like, pick one. <laughs> pick. Do you want me to have a job, or do you want me to? <laughs> but um, so we went down there and targeted sturgeon. Actually, delightfully surprised to catch two. I never had caught a sturgeon before, and that's been one of those fish that's been on my list that I need to catch these, and I just never had put the time in to try to target them. 
And I think I got lucky because the whole well, bank was. That's good to see it. You should probably tell Matt Thomas that because he wants to know when you see sturgeon because they were released way in the headwaters. I, I think by the mouth of, of Rock Castle, mouth of Laurel, yeah. and there's where they originally released them. We need to have somebody who really knows about sturgeon on some time to talk because there's lake sturgeon, there's shovel nose sturgeon, yep. two different species. These are lake sturgeon. Well, okay. see, and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't identify the sturgeon I caught yesterday. I just don't know enough about the fish. I've only caught two up now. But, um, and some of them are extremely rare. You know, if you catch them immediate release, so don't even want them in the boat. And I'm not sure what I caught, but uh, I mean, they were just, I basically watched YouTube videos and saw how other people, especially up in Canada, were fishing for them. Where they catch those monsters there as long oh, as the boat. Yeah. Oh, and I got a story to tell you about that here in a second. So I basically watched their YouTube videos and went down there and said, I'm just gonna try to do what they do. I think it would really help to know the, the profile of the bottom. I'd like to know where the channel is. You know, I was basically just watching the water and I figured where those uh, generators, the turbines were, that there was probably a cut or a, mm -hmm. you know something there from the water flowing. And, uh, and you know, I can kind of tell that I was onto something a little bit because me and Kristen were fishing the exact same way, two poles a piece. All she caught was rainbow trout and walleye and all I caught was sturgeon. And that's because when we were set up next to each other, we were fan casting, you know? So I think where my rods were at were probably better for that. And, she was catching 22 inch rainbows and just disappointed that they weren't starting. Oh man, I mean, that, that would have been, <laughs> yeah. I caught one 23 incher, but a 22 inch rainbow, I'd That's be nice. extremely happy. Oh, it's bigger than any rainbow I've ever caught. Yeah. And I was bummed I couldn't catch a rainbow. She doesn't have her trout permit and I do. And I was, I was looking for that over. Mm -hmm. I was gonna take one of those bad boys home. Heck yeah. Lemon butter. No doubt. But, and when they've been in the river that long, they taste a lot better. Oh really? Oh yeah, those are old fish. Yeah. So the, what I was getting at there is we went down there yesterday and fish and I was looking at the water and it looks, and of course it's Wolf Creek, so it's gonna be cold year round. Mm -hmm. But I was looking at the water and it just looked like this black, you know, swirling whoosh. And I was thinking if I went in there, based on the current and where this wall is, like, I think I could swim over out of the current, but not in what I'm wearing. It was yeah. like in, in my, cause it, it was 35 degrees. So I had on my full bibs and my big hunting jacket. I was saying I couldn't do it in what I'm wearing. So, you know, I was thinking about where am I gonna end up? And the, thinking about a little bit of that water safety, I would almost suggest having a life jacket on if you're fishing from the bank down there. It's, yes, mm -hmm. there's nothing yes. wrong with it. And yeah. they make life jackets these days that are comfortable yeah. and flexible that you can maneuver and move your arms with without being feeling bound up. And we may hit on that later when we're talking yes, about because a lot of people absolutely. Oh, we're don't like having When we fish below a dam for the show, like even if we're bank fishing below McAlpin or just any dam, if we're on a boat, 100% life jackets. And if we're on the bank, we wear life jackets for the TV show too, just because we're trying to promote, right. you know, water. So we, like uh, last spring, we went sauger fishing below lock four here in Frankfurt with two guys. And uh, Chad had his life jacket on. I don't, I don't think the guests did, but that's cause you know, we aren't, we aren't gonna force our guests to do, but we try to promote it ourselves. And uh, you're right, as far as life jackets go, they've gotten so much better. Like I still wear one of those big full padded life jackets mm -hmm. when I'm out. Um, but uh, the inflatables are what I use when I'm filming for the TV show, and they really are. Yeah. I mean, you can't even really tell they're there. I've got a kayak one that I wear both for boat and everything, and it's comfortable. And yeah. I see up there. A little there, hot in the summer when you're paddling, but you know. It, yeah, but beach it's, drowning. You got that right. And I, I feel like, I don't know, something about the big padded life jacket, I just kind of feel like a, 
you know, it's just, I feel like I'm doing something, you know. They're, they're a little bit better than I grew up with the old orange ones. You remember? Yeah. Yeah. Well, people laugh all the time when I'm teaching classes or something. I'll say, I'll hold up the orange one and I'll hold up the new ones. And I'll say, which one's prettier? <laughs> and, you know, they always don't pick the orange dinghies, what we call them. But the orange dinghy is still one of the safest life jackets out there. Uh, you look at how it's made. It's flotation around your neck and all right on your chest. Yes, it gives you the chance if you're knocked unconscious to possibly turn your head back over. Yeah. And they're not as on. No, no. And they're probably cheaper. Yes, yeah. much cheaper. I think I've got three or four of them in my garage. I, I, I've given out when buddies come over and whatnot. We, we got one in here, but I see up on the board, because you jotted down some notes. So the very first thing up top, eight out of 10, not wearing PFD. Yes, eight out of 10 times when there's an incident in the water, whether it's a serious injury, and that actually uh, is a fatality, eight out of 10 times there's life jackets there, but they're not wearing them. Okay. So that's pretty, that's pretty high. And so the ones that, the two out of 10, the ones that are life jackets, what, are those just kind of extreme situations? What, what happens there? I, there's no, I mean, there's no specific, it goes to the whole category from recreational okay. boating to fishing to kayak and rough water. Um, yeah. That's just kind of the nationwide stats. Eight out of 10. Yeah. And you said they have them, because all, obviously all boats are required to have life jackets for everybody on board. You're right. You know what? That's something I bet you people get confused on. Because, I mean, you got to have a life jacket for everybody on board, but it, it doesn't count if it's an inflatable unless it's being worn, right? That's right. Like the, it, auto, so that's, the auto inflates, that's right, because it's not going to save your life. It's got to be worn so put you, on to wear it. If you got, so readily accessible doesn't matter for the auto inflates, Right, correct? it needs to be worn. So if you've got 10 people on your pontoon boat and you got 12 inflatable life jackets in a storage container, you might as well have zero. That's right. Because, I mean, that's true. If you get in an accident, if you're not wearing that auto inflate, it's not going to... Well, and a lot of people are like, well, what do you mean by readily accessible? And I mean, if like a pontoon's a great example, like you yeah. all have seen the orange dinghies, they come in four packs mm -hmm. and they're in a nice carrying case zipped up and everything. Well, if you check their life jackets, I need to see life jackets for them both, they'll pull that case out. Well, that's, that's not readily accessible because in an emergency, you're going to have to unzip that case, take them out and, and it's just not going to work. Do you write people for that one? Uh, yes, I mean, it just depends. You know, every situation is different. You have to look at every situation different. But on safety and water safety, life jackets for each person on the boat that fits and it's Coast Guard approved is... So if they're stowed under the seat in the front... The... You, no, I mean, it's okay. I'm talking about they're in that yeah. case and they're yeah. packed up. That's not readily accessible. But just a normal one. Some people, yeah. you know. No, that's... Is that considered readily accessible? If they can get to it in a decent amount of time, that's... What fine. I think of when I think of readily accessible... I kind of like, think it's sitting on the floor. A lot, right. of, a lot of these serious bass fishermen you go fishing with, they keep their kill switch attached to their life jacket. Mm -hmm. And so when they sit down in the driver's seat, they put their life jacket on. When they stand up to go fish off the front of the boat, they take their life jacket off and it stays attached to the kill switch. So yeah. I'm thinking it's sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah. That's readily accessible to me. Yeah, yeah no if doubt. You can, if something happens, you can get to it quick and in a hurry. So. What else we got? So. Well. You know, and you know what? Marcus here made a really good point because when we came in here and we we're getting ready to do this podcast, I was talking to him while we were waiting on you, Lee. And uh, I said, you cold water boating, like fishing season. I'm thinking smallmouth and stuff like that off the front of a boat. He said waterfowl. And that's yeah. something that hadn't even crossed my mind. There's probably, I mean, this is a, a time of year where so many people get geeked up for waterfowl season. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who probably, you know, aren't fishing year round are all of a sudden on a boat in really cold water. Mm -hmm. what, what kind of waterfowl related accidents do you see? Did, you just have, I mean, in waterfowl season, duck hunters got so much gear. They got their shotgun That's bags. They got their decoy bags. They got their propane heater. And a lot of times they'll be in a 14-foot, 16-foot jumbo. Mm -hmm. And it's just packed to the hilt. 
and that can cause problems with capsizing. And I didn't write it up there on my notes, but one of the things to always be aware of is what is your capacity yes, of your boat. Your capacity plate on a boat will tell you how many people, how much weight of gear and people you can have on your That's boat. That's what that little safe. plate tells you. Yes, yes. Capa maximum capacity is many people, yeah. this much weight. Yeah. yeah, and it's so that's, duck season is so bad because that's what you see is a 16 foot John boat on the Ohio River. Mm -hmm. And if you've been on the Ohio <laughs> River. You should have a 16 foot John boat. Uh, it scares me to death. Yeah. I mean, I want the biggest thing I can get to go out there because it can get rough. Yeah. But you get, you get so amped up on duck hunting and you're, yeah. the boating stuff you're not thinking about. And all the boating rules and regulations apply in wintertime just like they do summertime. So, and inexperience can play a role in this. It I wrote is. a story about this with, with remember Zach, we threw Zach in Taylorsville yeah, in the middle yeah. of January and took pictures. That's good um, stuff. But uh, there were four teenagers that went across Kentucky Lake. And if you've been on Kentucky Lake in the morning, it's calm. Mm -hmm. But two o'clock in the afternoon, the wind picks up and then you've got white caps. Yes, and it will white. And they had four kids, their gear, their decoys, and they started chugging back across the lake. Probably would have been better if they just went over in trailer because they hunted the OBL side and tried to get across. Of course, uh, a couple of waves went over the side, they were overloaded. Three of the four kids did not make it. Yeah. One, one who swam for safety and the dog made it and everybody yeah. else It's perished. awful. And that's along with that eight out of 10 people that's got life jackets, 75% of them are all good swimmers. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're a good swimmer. I mean, you can get yourself yeah. in a pickle pretty quick. That's what I was saying. I mean, I, I was a good swimmer back, a good swimmer back in the day. I'm not sure I am anymore, but when I was looking at that water, thinking about falling in, I was, the clothing is what's going to keep me from being able to mm -hmm. even possibly make it, you know, uh, and that, and boots, like when I, when you're swimming, you don't have shoes on, right. you know, and it's a whole lot easier to swim barefoot than it is with a pair of muck boots on. It's really hard to swim with a pair of Well, another thing that, that people need to consider is a lot of people like to take a boat, go put out a decoy spread, and then like stand in the water and wait. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have your waiter safety belt, if that boat goes over, your waiter's filled with water, you've got to get those waiters off quick. Or, but if you have the safety belt only go down this far, at least you can get some of that water and may make it. But yeah. always and wear your wear life jacket on top of it. Yes, wear, your time, wear your life jacket while you're wearing your waders. Ain't yeah. gonna hurt a thing. They make them in camo. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. So. And, and wear that waiter safety belt, wear that life jacket, and that'll help you. People don't think about how uh, heavy water is. I mean, mm -hmm. a gallon of water is what, like eight, nine pounds? Something, mm -hmm. Somewhere around there. Well, you're talking about uh, Kentucky Lakely. You were talking about the Whitecaps. You talked about the Ohio River. I'm thinking about you've seen one of those barges and they're going so slow and you, you don't really, you look at them from a distance and they don't look like they're putting off a whole lot of wake. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it just, these monster rollers hit you, yeah, you know, kind of, two minutes later. I could see somebody loading up a John boat, like he was saying, and heading out there and you know, they got four or five inches. It, it's of, riding three inches out of the water. Yeah, yeah. riding three inches the gunnels, out. Yep. And it's nice and calm. And then all of a sudden the barge goes by, I don't think anything of it. Then you've taken on 10 gallons or a hundred pounds of water and you're sitting two inches, you yeah. know, and it just If that happens going. a couple of times, goodbye boat. Well, yeah. and it's, it's like you were thinking, I mean, you were already thinking like you said, well, I was wondering what it'd be like, I've got my clothes and stuff on. Yeah. That's 95% that's of survival is mental. Yeah. And you, you gotta use your head and yes, you're gonna panic, but after that you need to calm down and think about what you're gonna do. Yeah, uh, and you know, that's part of it. Like, I watched a, an older segment that I filmed over the summer down at, it was actually on the Ohio River, and it was when we went and we uh, catfished down there from a canoe, and Chad fell and fell and slipped and fell in the water three times. <laughs> and Bobby, the guy we were fishing with, didn't fall once. And at the end of the segment, Chad says, Bobby, I gotta ask how you stay dry today. 
And Bobby said, well, to be honest with you, I think it was just my preparation. He said, expecting to be wet is what kept me dry. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same thing here. Expecting something could go wrong will probably keep anything keep, from, yeah. from going wrong. Yeah. Well, good, good words of advice from Bobby there I just caught on to last night. But mm -hmm. yep. and same thing here. I mean, expecting that you could possibly take on water is going to get you prepared too if you do take on water and hopefully keep you from doing that. Well, you know, if you go boating in summertime, I mean, you may worry about rain. But I mean, this time of year, you need to be thinking about what's the weather going to be doing? Mm -hmm. What's the wind going to be doing? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of factors to consider before you take your trip. Let's get into one of your other points. And this is something we briefly touched on too. A couple weeks ago, the water temperature was much warmer. I'm talking the water temperature was upper right. 60s, low 70s. Mm -hmm. Air temperature was down in the 30s. And when I was uh, wade fishing for Sauger, you know, I, was, I went in knee deep and I was like, man, the water feels good. And I just, you know, I wanted to keep on going. But Marcus here told me that right there, where does it say? Uh, out of the water instead of in. Yeah, out of the water instead of in. For some reason I can't find it on, oh there it's it is. It's at the very bottom. Out of the water instead of in. And I asked him, you know, even, even if the water temperature is a lot warmer in there, and he said yes. You know, explain why. Yeah, well, I mean, let's say your boat even capsizes out here in, when the water's 50 degrees. Yeah. Hypothermia, even if you're a good swimmer and you're doing good, hypothermia over time is gonna take its toll mm -hmm. And, and you'll eventually end up unconscious. Yeah. So when I say out of the water instead of in, even if your boat's turned over, some part of it normally floats, you wanna try to get your body up and out of the water because if you're an hour or two hours from somebody coming mm -hmm. to get you or find you, you don't wanna be unconscious in the water. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't wanna be unconscious. Well, that, that one kid who survived swam for half an hour until screaming until people found him. Yeah. Exactly, you know, he's young. And he's lucky. Yeah, he's young and lucky, but you know, people, you know, my age or whatever, that's not a, that's not very smart. Well, no, we were just talking about it, you know, when you all come in, the water temperature is right around 53, 54 degrees right now. You know, within 10 to 15 minutes, you start to lose muscle control. Mm -hmm. So your swimming ability greatly decreases. Decrease. So you've got about 10 minutes to, to get, get yourself squared away to where you're going and what you want to do. Exactly. You, so, and you can get hypothermia anywhere from 60 to 70 degrees underneath. We yeah, all get it all the time. If me and you go outside right now and our teeth start chattering, that's that's the, the start beginning of it. Yeah. That's the start of it. Explain hypothermia to me. I feel like this is something that as much as I'm outside, I need to know. So explain, you know, what it basically, so it's a core body temperature, right? Yeah, yeah the, the way I explain it to people is it's easy. It's like you're losing more heat than your body can produce. Mm -hmm. So your body temperature is slowly starting to decline from the normal 98.6. And, and I'll, we'll go over the, the stages in cold water. No matter what you do right now, if you enter the water, you're gonna have a gas reflex. Yeah. You just cannot, you cannot even plan for it and not do it. You're gonna open your mouth and take in a big breath because it's gonna be a shock factor. <laughs> so that's in the very first minute. So after that first minute, you need to stop the panicking because you're gonna panic, it's normal human nature, and then kind of calm yourself down and then figure out what you're gonna do. And then you got about 10 minutes of good swimming or mobility to get yourself where you need to be to be safe till rescue. So, mm -hmm. so say so you, you gave an example a second ago, teeth start chattering, you know, that's a mild, I mean, people experience yes. that all the time. Um, what are some other signs of hypothermia? Say, say I was to go muzzleloader hunting next weekend and, 
you know, I was falling the creek and decided to go sit in my deer stand anyway, and I was sure. going to sit there for four hours soaking wet in the freezing cold. What would I experience as I sat there? Well, I mean, your teeth are <laughs> going to start chattering, you're going to get goosebumps, and then you'll start getting uncontrollable shakes. Yeah. And you've done that where you're shivering, you can't yeah, stop yeah. shivering. Oh, until you're getting a hot well, your teeth, I've had my teeth chatter so hard that I thought, yeah. I'm going to break my teeth, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. and there, I couldn't control There's it. been times where I've been out hunting, and I started shaking, you know, just getting those little muscle shakes, and I'm thinking, how am I going to shoot something if I do see it? And then I'll get in the car and I'll blast the heat. And when I get home half an hour later, I'm still still feel like I'm. Yeah, you never get. Cold. Seems like you never get warm again. No, and it's an old it's an old thing from back in the day. Do you wear wool when you go out? The socks. I've got them on right now. Wool, wool gloves. <laughs> Wool's a wonderful thing. Wool gets wet, but it still keeps you warm. Keeps you. Yeah. Cotton's worthless when it's yeah, wet. You got that right. So I always carry wool gloves, wool socks. Uh, big fan of wool. So how does hypo, So in the water, hypothermia for the most part, like you were talking about, makes you go unconscious. Um, on land, tell me about how you can still you. go unconscious on land. I mean, once you're yeah. exposed for so long, that's just the progression. You'll get sleepy and then eventually you just kind of go to sleep. And if nobody comes to get you or nobody else, you're left out there. It can be a fatality. You're going to die of exposure. Yeah. 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 Do you know why uh, it causes you to go unconscious, go to sleep? Is it just uh... I get because your body and I'm, uh, I'm not a scientist or anything else, but um, your body's conserving heat for your vital organs. Yeah. That's why your hands get cold, your extremities get cold. And I'd say after a while, it just, you can't, body, you can't do it anymore. Your body, you can't support your functions enough. So basically your body's thinking, all right, I've got to survive this somehow. What can I do? Let's conserve energy yeah. and then let's uh, lose what we can afford to lose. And that's where the extremities That's, that's the way I look at it. But you, you know, I've fished a lot in winter. I know we all have. When, when you've been out and your hands get really cold, this just a, an example of it. How many, how many times you've not been able to tie a knot hardly? Yeah. Even though your brain's telling your fingers, do you know, tie the trilene knot, tie the palomar, you know. But you're like, you know. And do your hand draw slow and everything. That's just the beginning of what's happening. So um, if you've ever not been able to control your fingers when you're really cold, that, that's the road you're going down. And, the, and the, another part about it too is you talked about waiting here the other day hypothermia can even start when the water temperature is 70 degrees yeah it's not going to start as fast as 10 minutes but you stay in it for an hour out there lollygagging around not doing much it'll start to take effect then too um oh gosh his name is escaping me nate Devenbrock, nathan Devenbrock, yeah. from canoe kentucky one time we were uh, kayaking on taylorsville in the winter I, i'm wanting to say it was probably october november and he told me um uh there was a temperature like 120 combined air temperature and water temperature is that the, is that the I right? don't know well he said if the air temperature and water temperature combined aren't over 120 so let's just say it's 50 and 60 you know 50 degree air temperature 60 degree water temperature that you're at a high risk for hypothermia in those conditions yeah, yeah I, i'm not he just basically said that 120 mark and it, it made sense to me at the time you know? i'm sure somebody's done scientific research on it well ultimately you go in the water you want to get out as quick as you can especially if you went in on accident especially this time of year it get is get yourself somewhere dry and safe hopefully you can pass out in peace and you, you've got to think i mean if you're out on some lake where during duck season and there's not many people out there mm -hmm. you know you don't want to stay in the water now if i'm out on taylorsville or something and i know there's a boat going by every 10 minutes yeah maybe you stay in the water because it's warmer but you've got yeah. to think about your situation mm -hmm. and how you're going to survive that yeah i'd say uh you know it's one of those old boy scout rules i guess always let somebody know where you're going to be yeah yes yeah, so that's that's what float plan is mm -hmm. oh float plan float very, plan very you'll say float plan, plan and that does not even hit a chord with anybody but a float plan basically is just what you said it's telling somebody who you're with where you're at what time you're going to be back home and what you're doing. And this doesn't apply just to waterfowl hunting. I mean, if you're going on a five mile float on a creek, 
let somebody know. You know, we're, we're going to put in at 9 o'clock. We plan to take out around dark. Even me yeah. right now, even at, I tell my mom, yeah. well, I like, hey, I'm going, to the, I'm going to the Kentucky River. We'll be back at dark. Yeah. Because, because if, if something like, so let's say you're not back an hour after dark, that's not a problem. But if you're not back by midnight, then somebody Something's knows wrong. that we need to get somebody out doing that. And it's very important to say, I'm going to Taylorsville Lake. I'm going to McAlpin Dam mm-hmm. so that law enforcement, rescue, search and rescue, even family members have a place to start looking. Yeah. If, if my wife's not familiar, I'll get out a, yep. a map and say, honey, we're going, you know, I know you don't know this. I mean, yep. This is a new lake. It's right here. It's in, you know. <laughs> I'm telling so you. If, if I'm not back, right. then, you know, you don't hear from me by eight o'clock on the cell, then, you know. Oh, if I if I if I took out a hard copy paper map and <laughs> pointed a pen on a map where I was going to be and told Kristen that's the spot, I might as well just <laughs> hike off the edge of the earth. speaking Chinese. Yeah, I got to drop her the like the the pen and share it. You know, I got to send her the pen on well, the phone. Well, and you just held it up that cell phone, and that's yeah. when I talked to a lot of these uh, younger people about that stuff. They're like, "Oh, I've got my cell phone." You and Lee, you know, mm-hmm. and Chase, you know, how many times when you hit the water does service go to Neil? Neil, oh, yeah. there is no service. Or on the you water. forget, or it drop. You drop it in the water, then you don't. Yeah. You're done. So you can't depend on that yeah. as no. an emergency device on that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Just like uh, they say, you aren't supposed to depend on it for your license, right? Yeah. yeah. Huh? I still keep a screenshot on here, just yeah, in case. Uh, I absolutely, I do too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I do too. In case I forget that hard copy somewhere. One of the things that, that I've talked about before when we've been discussing this is, you know, a lot of people who buy a boat for waterfowling, you know, that's not their primary boat if they have another boat. And if it is, even and if maybe they're not anglers and they just have one boat, people will buy, you know, like those poor kids who passed away, they were on a 1978 model boat. This was about 10 years ago with a 19, I think, equal model motor. You want to make sure all that stuff is in tip top shape. If you're going to take the risk of going out on the water, in December, January, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, and what's and what's the number one thing a boat's good for? <laughs> it doesn't matter, a brand new boat yeah. the next season yeah. is no better than a boat that's 25 years old. Um, yeah. They are notorious for having problems. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, you know, the old saying is what B-O-A-T stands for. Yeah, break out, break another, out thousand. another thousand. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but yeah. you want to make sure it's, because a lot of people buy them, at, you know, you see a guy alongside the road has an old kind of a little bit of a beater, 16-foot Johnny with a 25 on there. Oh, boy, that'd make a great waterfowling boat. Yeah, it will, but make sure that bad boy is in tip-top shape. Yes. Have somebody that knows what they're doing no, go through the motor and make sure it make runs. Make sure everything and runs. And it's going to run. Yeah, because, you know, if you go to the other side of the lake and your boat's dead uh, on December the 29th, it's... It's yeah. bad news. Or you, or you go hunt an island out on the Ohio River and you get done hunting, your boat won't start. You're getting ready to spend the night on the island. Yeah. I mean, so. it would worry. That's a, that's a good point. Very I'm, few have a trolling motor either, so you don't have any Not being duck season. That's exactly right. I'm thinking about moving water versus uh, like a reservoir. Man, I would not want my motor to go out on any point of the Ohio River, Kentucky River, because at that point, I mean, if I was on a lake, I'd have a paddle or an oar. I could mm-hmm. probably get myself somewhere. But on the river, you're pretty much at its mercy Yeah, no <laughs> for the most part. No. I mean, you might be able to get to that other bank, but it might be 10 miles downstream before mm-hmm. you do. And you're talking about fishing at the dam, you know. They, fishing at the dam is great fishing. So oh, yeah. everybody wants to get as close to that restricted mm. zone as you can. Just you need to be aware of what's going on because if your boat motor fails or whatever, you can get sucked in in a heartbeat. Oh, I've heard it, and that's above and below. Mm-hmm. I mean, people obviously above the dam, that... You know, we've read stories about that here over the past couple of years, even including at McAlpin, where people put, you know, Lee, we've talked about this, mm-hmm. where those guys put, they bought a boat, 
wanted to test it out, ran it down to the Ohio River, put it in, started it up, got it right out there in the middle, and the motor died, and they were above McAlpin, mm. which is a bad situation. And they got pinned, didn't it? They went through. Yeah. And then if you're on the bottom side of the dam, you've got just crazy turbulent water that's pulling every direction. And you're pretty much always, we call it jockeying when we're down there. We'll have, if we're up there fishing, somebody's jockeying in the boat, mm -hmm. you know, keeping it positioned where it needs to be and the other guys are fishing. But if you can't jockey that boat, well, you're just, you might, you might get pulled forward into the dam. Oh, mm -hmm. you, if you sit there and fish, you can watch. I mean, you start yeah. creeping up a little by little the oh, yeah. whole time. It's mm -hmm. amazing when you're down there. You're, if you're the jockey, I mean, you're constantly reverse forward, you know, left, right, just trying, cause you're getting, you're going every which way. Well, we did it that day, fiber fishing. That was only one, or that was eventually five feet. It went up one more foot on the one. Yeah. Did it, yeah. And with Paul, but it was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I was bracing, I braced my feet against the side. It was like fishing from, you know, a bucket yeah. horse. Yeah, it, you it, sure don't want to fall out of the boat when you're there. No, no doubt, not there. It is fun though. <laughs> I mean, it's good. Chase got like three or four casts. I was like, and I cast a cast, same lure, same rod. And I was like, Chase, what in the world did I do that you didn't do? It's I don't awesome. think it came out of my mouth 15 seconds. Oh, big hybrid hit, and I was like, all right, we're good. <laughs> Let's end of that. No, it, it is true, man. Some of those spots, uh, fish, it amazes me what kind of current they can live in. And I love fish that live in the current. Like, my favorite species are those, those, they fight. those heavy current fish. And, man, there's something about fishing up in there. But if you're going to do it, yeah, you got to be safe. And uh, I keep a life jacket on 24-7 when I'm on the river on a boat, not always when I'm fishing from the bank. Sometimes when I go down there and I'm thinking that I might – you know, go above my knees, I'll throw the life jacket yeah. on. Cause it is slippery. And I got, a fella did, I think it was this past spring, did drown down there in that exact same stretch, uh, wade fishing. Um, you know, th this is gonna be completely useless for people who don't know what I'm talking about. But you know where the interpretive center actually sits, mm -hmm. there's that bend just downstream of it. Yeah. And there's kind of a rock flat that goes out um, where you can walk out pretty far. And then right on the other side of that rock flat in that bend, the water drops down to about 27 feet deep mm -hmm. right there before it does like a, a U-bend. And uh, I guess he was fishing as far out on that rock shelf as he could. And he just slipped on slippery rock, just like, you know, we all do when we fish there. And he ended up getting pulled into that deeper section there where he couldn't stand up. So there are some did he, ha hazards did he, did out there. Did he drown? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that was in the spring. I think it might've been, I get my ears. No confused. PFD, I'd say. No. I tell people all the time, it's just a habit. It's yeah. just a habit. Like when you get in your car, what's the first thing you do and you don't even think about it? You click your seatbelt. Yeah, because I feel naked. If I don't have my seatbelt on, I feel naked. That's you know? how, And that's how I've been doing it. If you get in your boat and you're getting ready to move, I tell people at least if the boat's moving, everybody should have a life jacket on. Mm -hmm. If you just get in the habit of that, putting a life jacket on every time, every time when you get ready to motor up, pretty soon you just do it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. like. I, I do the exact same thing when I get in my car I, and doesn't, the thought doesn't even cross my mind. I just grab that seatbelt and click it over. But I remember when I was a little kid, I didn't want to wear my seatbelt, you know? Why mm. was it? <laughs> why, why would somebody uh, not want to wear a PFD? I mean, I, I guess there is a slight discomfort to it. Same thing with the seatbelt. But I just, now that I, I just intend, like, without even thinking, just click it. Yeah. I wonder why people don't want, don't want to do it. Well, Marcus, we touched on it earlier, but some of the people are like, well, I don't want to hunt with a PFD on, because it does interfere with shouldering your shot. But, but the hunting shot, the hunting PFD. Yeah, you're say, they make the hunting. Yeah. The hunting. Oh, but if you, but you can also buy an inflatable that goes around your waist. Yep. But some of those are automatic, or my buddy wears a manual one all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's what I was going. That was my next question. That was my dad wears that, but you need to be aware on the manual. That means you're the one that's got to do you it. Gotta so you got to have presence of mind to pull, pull that orange little thing and go. Yeah, but that's what he wears when we go floating on. Because mm -hmm. if I fish by myself, I always have the waist one on. Yeah. 
So yeah, and I, you know, it depends. But you can shoulder that with no problem. It's around your waist. But you know, and there's uh, as far as PFDs go, it probably there's not one perfect PFD for everybody. It really depends on what you do. You were talking about hunting out of with one. I mean, if you're shouldering a shotgun, you probably want one that has the mesh shoulder, so you don't mm -hmm. have a big pad there. Yeah. And if you're kayak fishing Elkhorn, the water's four feet deep. You probably get by with a waist belt, you know, That's something true. like that. You're out there on. I mean, honestly, I he was talking about being safe on a body of water with a lot of boats. Oh man, give me the best life jacket in the world if I'm out there with everybody else. If you're shooting a three and a half inch load of geese, <laughs> I don't mind having a little extra padding on that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you're gonna be sore the next day. Yeah, That's a kick in this gun in the world. I think it's three and a half inch. Built-in recoil pad. A, a, a pump too, like a you know, oh, light one. God, yeah. my brother had a. One of those Mossberg Ultimags, and boy, that thing kicked like Knock a Knocked the fire out of it. He's got a 4570 government, single shot. And I think they're about equal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the 4570 kicks. It's fun to shoot, but boy, it kicks. I'll tell you what, while we got law enforcement here, there were two other law enforcement things I was wanted to hit on. One of them we talked about a little bit. We were talking about um, James Brace, our new CO here in Franklin County, uh, right when we started the podcast. And uh, I, I said that we went on a ride along the other day. And it was pretty interesting. Um, we went out to some remote place in Kentucky, I, honestly I couldn't even find it if I had to, and put out the uh, decoy deer. And so we did a decoy mm. deer thing. And I, I mean, I, I wasn't <laughs> where I could actually see the deer because I was in a stop vehicle. So I was with uh, two COs in a stop vehicle, which was parked out of sight. And then we had a couple of COs uh, watching the decoys, watching the road from the woods, and we had radio communication. And whenever a car would drive by, you know, we'd car coming, we'd hear it on the radio and then we'd all kind of, you know, start to get ready. They're stopping, they're stopping. You know, we'd start, it'd get real, and you know, you get anticipation and they're looking at the deer and, um, you know, and, and then they'd, they'd drive off and the same car would be coming back. Mm -hmm. and you'd just be sure they were gonna do it, but nobody ever had a rifle or never shot. So I guess that's a good thing. Cause I mean- I think they're probably getting a little wise to some of that, you think? Some, some of that just Paul Teague used to tell me the funniest stories about when they first started doing that. So oh, he said they could line them up. Well, the old, the, old, the old guys taught me, and, and you, it's all in how you present the deer. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you just sit out in the middle of the field, you're going to get this the, was a presentation. You're going to get the, the people rubbernecking, but you want the real one. You put it to where they think, I ain't got a second to waste. This deer's getting ready to get away. Yeah. This deer, so. yeah. well, you know, I'll just, like I said, I couldn't tell you where this was if I had to, but the, I mean, it was a, a several deer. It, yeah. it made it look like, I mean, a yeah. group of deer out there. Yeah. and. I mean, its head would rotate. And, I mean, it, it looked good. When we came back around in the daylight and I saw it sitting down there, I was like, man, that looks, that looks good. But uh, it was fun. The anticipation was high. You know, you, it was kind of like hunting. You know, it felt like we were hunting something. Yeah. And but nobody ever shot, which is a good thing, ultimately. For, you know, I was kind of hoping somebody would just for the sake of TV. Yeah. But um, that, was, that was a lot of fun going out there. It's a good thing, too, because, I mean, a lot of people think the law enforcement is just strictly meant for writing people tickets, but that's really not our function. Our function is compliance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All we want is for everybody to obey the rules and regulations, and there's a wide variety of how you can accomplish that goal. Sometimes you do have to give a ticket to somebody, but other times you can just do something else. Well, and like the decoy, you said the, the goal is compliance. And sometimes you got people who just aren't being compliant, aren't being safe at the same time. And that's yeah. kind of the purpose of the decoy deer is you, it's not, it's not like you're going out on Taylorsville Lake and checking people for PFDs for their own safety. I mean, mm -hmm. and people might be, you know, just forgetting something. If you pull out a rifle and shoot from the road, I mean, that's like brazenly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, how many, and I always said, I wish Kentucky would pass the law where it was illegal to have a loaded gun in your vehicle, a rifle, not a pistol, of yeah. course, for safety. Because how many times during deer season, 
everybody's got their 243 or whatever set right beside their leg loaded up and ready to roll yeah. mm -hmm. and it's just it's awful as dangerous as can be mm -hmm. i unload mine every time just because uh, uh you know i have a rifle case that goes in the back behind me and and i'm kind of particular about some things one of which is how i like my rifle to sit in my rifle case yeah you know because i like to hold scope up when i'm carrying it from the handle and uh <clears throat> because of that the rifle is pointed directly at the back of the driver's seat Every time it's in that case, so I'm, that thing's unloaded any time it's in the car, no. just for the heck of You it. don't see the old, remember the old racks you see in people's windows, they'd have a pickup. High school, high school, you probably rode to high school with it in your, in your back window. Yeah. yeah. I got asked to people, leave. People ride around a whole, there's a load of gun right there, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You don't see those much anymore. Not as much, no. Oh, you go to Eastern Kentucky, you will. Or Western Kentucky, just maybe in our area here, they're unfortunately not as common. I said unfortunately. I like those. Well, I think some of it too is, ooh, if I smash that window, I've got to. Oh, well, that's you know, slam new. on the brakes, I don't feel like getting hit in the back of the head with my rifle <laughs> either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bunch of, bunch of farm trucks still have them. Yeah. But I remember I got uh, told I had to leave school one day in high school because my vehicle was leaking blood and it was where. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, where I'd gone and gotten a, I had shot a deer the night before, covered it before deer, school that, that day. It was cold enough out. I was like, well, you know, Phil dress it, it'll stay in the vehicle. And Chase went to go to the office. That's good stuff. Yeah. It was a uh, picture day my senior year, so I didn't get my senior picture taken. <laughs> but, uh, but it was well worth it. PE teacher came out there with the class and we all looked at the deer together. <laughs> I, I miss those days, man. <laughs> but uh, the other law enforcement thing I wanted to talk about, something I'm a little bit excited about myself is the, and I'm not sure that you'll, because I mean, I'm not sure, this is brand new, the coyote night season. The coyote night season. Are you up to speed on most of those rules I, and regs? I would not say I am stellar with it, but I'm aware of it. So I'm gonna pull it up right here. It's in the hunting guide. It's in this, this year's right, fall hunting right, guide. I read it. So the, uh, so the regs are out there. If somebody wants to look them up themselves, it's available on the department's website. Um, I'm gonna pull that up just to make sure I don't misspeak, but we are gonna give it a try tonight uh, for the first time. And it's, I know it's private land only. Right. And you have to have written permission with you. Um, if, I mean, technically you're supposed to have written permission if you're deer hunting or anything, but I got a feeling if the COs stop somebody at three o'clock in the morning uh, they they would prefer you to have the written permission instead of having to make a phone call. It, it always made it easier. I mean, it's oral or written is the way it's always been as long as you have permission. But yeah, for, for a conservation officer, having it written is so much easier. I saw where the uh, department had actually provided a written permission form. Um, I saw it, I think, on the department's Facebook page the other day. But it's actually a you know a form that I you know landowner um, name right. give so and so permission to hunt my property for this species from this state to this state, and it's a kind of like I thought it was an interesting little form, kind of puts it out there clean as day, no no mistakes it can is. be made. And I always used to make them uh, the landowner sign the person's hunting license because say Lee hunts out there this year and does something that the landowner don't like, well he may not want Lee back next year, yeah. mm -hmm. so he's got to sign that hunting license every year because your hunting license you get a new one every year and that mm -hmm. was always easy for me mm -hmm. that's a good idea so uh lights night vision thermal it's those yep. are all legal yep. it starts december 1st when does it go out um coyotes can be hunted the year round day or night can be hunted using lights or night vision equipment from december 1st through may 31st so may 31st 2021 is when it goes out so we got what january february march april pretty, may, long, pretty lengthy amount of time six months that's great I mean, <laughs> that's great. Six months. And that, I mean, heck, 
That's awesome. Yeah. Cause, I mean, coyote hunting's always fun, but I got a feeling this night season is going to be. I've done it with shotguns for several years now, and um, not as successful. No, shotgun hunting for coyotes is one of the toughest kinds of hunting we have in the state. Because yeah. you're trying to get this probably the best sense of smell in the state, maybe second to black bears, but you're trying to get this animal with this extremely good sense of smell within 30 yards. And I mean, they can just, all they gotta do is circle 50 yards downwind of you and they got you. And because they're coming usually to a prey distress call, you know, if they hear a rabbit squealing, they do think, yeah, that's an easy meal, but they also think, why is that rabbit squealing? So they're gonna wanna circle around and get a whiff of the situation before they go in there. Mm -hmm. So their instinct is to go downwind every time. I think that if you use coyote vocals, so if you're using the sound of another coyote to try to bring a coyote to you, that they're less likely to go downwind as if they think something's in danger because I don't think they're as worried about themselves. <clears throat> but um, that's why I think it'll be easier with rifles because then I don't have to have them at 30 yards. It's gonna, it's gonna help for sure. Um, and this is something I know a lot of people have been pushing for, a lot of people have been against, and but it's a, it's a season that I think, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting out there and, and seeing how it goes. Well, and anything we can do to, to help decrease the coyote population because they just don't have any predators besides what yeah. hunting pressure we put mm -hmm. on. They just, they're, they're a species that's just made about as perfectly as you can make one. Um, we've talked about them before with Laura Palmer, and I mean, coyotes started off just being in the, south, in the desert in the Southwest. And then over like a very short time period, they're now in every county of every state in the continental US and they go from the Arctic Circle to Central America. Mm -hmm. I mean, they literally have just boomed mm -hmm. and they can live in the deserts, the suburbs, the forest, the mountain. I mean, they literally well, that's, can you live. all have gotten it too. You know, they, somebody will be like, I think I saw a coyote in town. Well, oh. yeah, you probably did see a coyote in town. Yeah, so you'll get people who live in neighborhoods uh, uh, sending me a Facebook message. I think I saw a coyote in my neighborhood. Well, I'm sure they're there. <laughs> so, yeah, probably did. Yeah. Um, I saw one in my neighborhood in Louisville, like kind of in the middle of Louisville of last year. And it ran into this uh, city park. And of course, being the outdoor person I am, I followed this coyote, you know, it's walking down the sidewalks and I'm following it. And it goes into a city park and I get out and I'm watching it and it runs past this lady who's over on the playground with her kid. And she says, uh, is that your dog? I said, no, ma'am, that's a wild animal. <laughs> <laughs> she had no idea. <laughs> that probably didn't make her any more <laughs> Yeah, she, she was just confused. But, um, so December 1st, 2020 through May 31st, 2021, a night hunter may use a rifle of 6.5 millimeter or smaller on private land. Um, 6.5 millimeter, so that would, basically the biggest caliber you could use is a 6.5 Creedmoor. So what you're really looking at that would be popular for people wanting to try this is a 223, 22, 250, a 243. Um, I guess technically you could use a 25 odd six. That's getting up there out of the coyote calibers, if you ask yeah. me. Mm -hmm. If you ask me, the coyote calibers are 223, 22, 250, 243. I would probably put 22 mag and your 17. Yep. Um, That's my brother, your 17 horn. Yeah. Your different 17 calibers are several. There's H a 17 HMR would work, a 17 Remington, a 17... Hornady, and then a 6.5 Creedmoor is one that's become really popular for coyotes. And I got a feeling that's probably why the reg was set at 6.5 millimeters smaller. Yeah. That rolls out your 30 odd six, your 270, a lot of the rifles that are gonna be dangerous at a you know extended yeah. range. And I think that was a good rule. Um, you know, somebody asked me earlier which calibers were legal, and I told them, and they said, well, I was hoping I could take my seven mag. And I was like, man, I really don't know if anybody. <laughs> 
Well, and I was going to say too, you know, I mean, you're out there at night, it's no different than deer hunting or anything else. Be for sure what is around and behind yeah. before you pull the trigger. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's, I think that's a, obviously private land only, which keeps you, it, it, you should have a pretty good idea who's out there. You know, if it's private land, it's not like you're hunting public and there might be raccoon hunters. Uh, well, it could be. But. Well, I was going to say, and that's and one thing in, in being a conservation officer, we hear that all the time. Well, I'm on my own property. There ain't nobody out here. You never know who's where. Um, yeah. So you do need to kind of and don't yeah. go into it with that mentality. Yeah. It won't go over well if you do that and uh, you know somebody's livestock as well. Oh, you, you absolutely. Know. And that is, and we've experienced a bunch of those kind of calls. Yeah. yeah. And well, I mean, I, I would tell people not to shoot. Shoot at coyotes. Don't shoot at us. You know, because that's where, that's the only spot I could really see people messing up is because those eyes are going to shine in the, you know. Yep. And, the, here, and here's what's going to happen. It's a new thing and everybody's all excited about it, yeah. but it won't take too many grievous errors to have that yeah. disappear. Yeah. And, so and, be glad you got it, but also be wise with what you do. And mm -hmm. that's why I, I like these rules. I mean, I mean, it's fairly strict as far as which calibers you can use, private land only. I mean, mm -hmm. I, there aren't a whole lot of seasons that we have minimum caliber requirements for elk and bear we don't have a maximum caliber requirement for much of anything except for this and that, and i think it's a really good rule because it's at night and because it's brand new like you said if this is something that kentucky had been doing for 15 years it, you know you'd have experienced hunters and those experienced hunters would probably be providing some guidance and helping other people out and getting people well, into it and just like with this boating season this summer with all the inexperienced people going boating it's no different for hunting right now. Everybody's still getting outdoors because there's not a lot you can do. So it's probably gonna have some extra people that may not have done it, but we're gonna do it. Um, there was a family that put in, they went to a department store and outfitted the whole family with, with kayaks and all, and they didn't have enough experience to know what's low, what's medium, and what's flooding. And they put in at a river here locally below a lake. Yeah. And uh, the whole, they all, the whole five <laughs> members of the family had to be rescued. Yeah, well, I mean, they end up in the trees. I mean, know? a little cove in a lake, I'm pretty comfortable with. But I mean, even myself, if I'm going kayak on a river. I don't. It makes me nervous because there's a lot of things on the river that can get you caught up in a pinch. Yeah. Whether it's a log jam, an eddy, or just some mm -hmm. strange thing that puts you in a pickle and you don't really know how to handle it. Yeah, no doubt. And a lot of people, I don't think they're so inexperienced. They don't know what low water versus medium versus Hi, and I've, I did one on kayak safety saying, you know, learn to look at the USGS gauge before you do anything. Yeah. And that includes winter waterfowl. You can you never, know? never over-educate yourself on something. No. Oh, yeah. And one of the best ways to figure it out is to get out there and do it, too. Yeah. You're talking about what I do want to go back to this coyote hunt thing here in a second, but I remember one time I was kayaking a creek and I got, you know, there was a tree over the creek. And of course, you know, the current kind of pushed me into it. This was 10 years ago or so. And I got pushed underneath that tree, and you know that water just kind of forces you through, even mm -hmm. if you don't want to fit. And, <laughs> yeah, know, even if you're not wanting yeah, to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just so, and, and I remember getting pushed under that tree and thinking, man, I had zero control there of yeah, no. where I was going. And uh, I can see how you know sieves and tree fallen trees people could get caught up in yeah. pretty easily. And luckily, I said the best way to learn is to experience it. Now I've got that experience stuck in my head. So when I'm seeing a tree or something in the water, I'm thinking. I don't want to, you know, that, that I see where that water's going, and if I get there, that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to. A lot of people, you know, I know that there's several uh, rivers that are popular with people, you know, putting a Johnny in and, and floating down and yep. shooting ducks, but, you yep. know, 
uh, and experience can really hurt you. Oh, I want to try this. You it know? can, and you need, and that's where that panic. I mean, you're going mm -hmm. to panic, but you have got to calm yourself down mm -hmm. because that's if you get in a hairy situation. Yep, that's the only way you're going but to get out. If it's blown out, don't go. Yep. You know, but I mean, a lot of people who are just getting into it don't know what medium is versus blown out versus low. They're just, you know, they can get you dead. Before we get too far away from the coyote stuff, because I don't want to leave people confused. I yeah. want to make sure we, um, we, so we gave the rifle caliber, 6.5 or smaller, and we said shotguns could be used too. No slugs out of a shotgun. It's uh, no single projectile. So you got to use, I, I prefer a triple odd or a double odd buckshot. I like triple odd just because they have plenty of stopping power and you get more pellets. So mm -hmm. that's me personally. And I, when I go coyote hunting at night, I use that triple odd buck. I like three inch loads out of a 12 gauge. And when I went in the daytime, I used a 22250 with varmint rounds. Now I'm gonna give that a whirl too. But as far as uh, <clears throat> how to call them in and stuff. Can you use rimfire? Yeah, it doesn't say anything about that. Yeah. yeah. Probably not recommended though, correct? No, no but I don't, I don't believe there's a stipulation against rimfire. I mean, 22 mag is rimfire and that's a... Yeah, I that, would, yeah a lot better than... I don't think I'd take a 22 short or a 22 long rifle, mm -hmm. but a 22 mag or a 17 HMR, mm -hmm. those are both rimfire. And I mean, a lot of what you want to use depends on your setup. Yeah. Some of the most successful coyote hunters in the daytime that I know of are shotgun only guys. And they're in that you said I was that. just kind of thinking the old basic 22. I mean, does anybody use those? Yeah, people yeah. do. People yeah. do. And an important thing to talk about too is it's not using the vehicle. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You still can't hunt from a vehicle or a boat. Well, well actually, can you hunt from a boat? You can on certain species. Yeah, on predators, uh, uh, coyotes, I think you can. And squirrels, but you have to have permission to go get the squirrel. Yeah. yeah. So you can't because yeah, I've I've seen some nuisance predator control guys uh, do that before from a kayak. And uh, but so you can't hunt from a vehicle. So what you can't do is have your your uh, have your, your rifle hanging out the window looking through your scope. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and that. And, yeah. I just seen if he's gone. <laughs> yeah. I just seen what's going Those on. People, I was going to walk. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, as far as calling a man goes <laughs> at night with a rifle, I mean it's just it all it depends so much on the ground you're hunting, and that's what I was getting at with uh, what you want to use too. Because I could see a rimfire rifle, a 22, being perfectly fine in a, the same situation that a shotgun would be fine in, but. Uh, you know, I think people taking 22s for the most part are taking them because that's what they have. I don't think most people hunting with are just going to the store and saying, I need a coyote rifle and I have an endless budget. You're right. I'm yeah. taking that or 22 I need to rifle. More. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I sit with that. I think a 22 to, a 22 to 50 or 223 is the best round you can get for it. Um, let's see. Uh, the only other thing I had jotted down to talk about is the fact that I saw 16 does grouped together on my way to work this morning in a field and that kind of tells me what's going on with uh, some of the deer herd. You know, it's a smaller scale than it is with the elk, but you know, you guys know, I don't know if most of Kentucky knows, when the elk, cow elk get pregnant, I mean, they are herded up mm -hmm. and it's feast or famine if you're a, a cow elk hunter. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that happens with a deer, but in smaller groups. I mean, it's not like you're gonna get every deer for five square miles in one spot together, but you will start to see groups of does in bigger bunches. And it's a little bit feast or famine deer hunting this time of year. That means they've been bred? Should be. I mean, I kind of think it's just a natural thing for them to do right now. Um, we will have, the rut's pretty much over, but there will be more rutting activity. Yeah. The Gabe told us before that, you know, this year's fawns, when they get to a certain size, are going to be breedable mm -hmm. and that they'll come in later. Mm -hmm. um, usually that's what the second or third rut, you know, in December and January will be is those younger deer. Um, but I would really focus in on fatty food sources right now. 
I would look at cut corn fields and if you still got acorns on the ground because these deer should be wanting to bulk up and put on some body mass mm -hmm. for especially this super cold weather that's come through. Well, yeah, they, so they're, they're thinking fatten up, fatten up. So they ought to be wanting to eat. So I would be looking not so much hunting your rut patterns anymore. I'd be looking at those good food sources and. Um, that buck should be, you know, they ran themselves pretty hard during the rut. They got to build back up their body mass. I would say food sources, acorns, corn. You got a corn pile, that's fine. Got a corn field that works well. Acorns, things like that. Do you deer hunt at all right now, Marcus? I'm, I am not. I mean, I will deer hunt, but I am not a big deer hunter. I'm more of a bird man fit and fishing's the what mm, I live for. I love fishing. I live for fishing too. Uh, I well, for. I was checking. Uh, you know, the water temperature is probably right, 59 now on Cumberland. So that means uh, prime time is here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said something to me the other day. I said, any day I can fish is prime time. Yeah, if I can get no to the water, I'm going. Yeah, you fish when you can, not when yeah. it's perfect. Man, that's, that's, awesome. Right. that's the awesome thing about Kentucky is there's always something that's prime time. But I mean, you know, now, till, now till right after Christmas, best time to be on Cumberland. For smallmouth or striper? Smallmouths. Small and striper too, you know. Striper, they'll start, say, get in December, they'll start kind of moving back about halfway up the creek. It's just changing how you fish for them. Yeah, yeah you got to chase that water temperature. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why I, I really like it because in September, you know, I'm going to go after, I'm, I'm kind of building this game plan for throughout the year. What am I going to fish for each month of the, you know, because it really does change. I mean, September, I'm going to be after muskie now that I know. And uh, then it seemed like October, November, I mean, people really start catching trout and sturgeon and things like that. And then through the winter, I think it's smallmouth. And then we got the spawning runs coming up in the spring, starting with the white bass and the headwaters, and then probably move to the river and go for hybrids after that. And then our catfish spawn comes in right after that. And then we're in the dead of summer. And there's no floating time. There's no time to squeeze work in or honeydew. No, 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 no. Well, you can build a heck of a game plan. Where <laughs> but John Williams used to tell me, and Marcy does too, when they set their nets in December, when yeah. they're doing uh, striped bass sampling, netting down there to get yeah. the population, that they, in December he likes to go up in the creeks about halfway. Okay. So if, if you're on the main lake, you're not catching them, they move up into a creek. They do. You'll even the guides. I've gone with striper guides, and then that time of year they're up in the creeks again. Yeah. So. A lot of people, that seems kind of counterintuitive. You think, oh, middle, starting to get the coldest, it's main lake time. But yeah. for striper, it's head up the creek. Okay. And that's because they're looking for colder water? Yeah, and also some of those shad will move up in the creeks too. Okay. And, um, um, you know, I don't know, they just, that's where they set their nets. and They're going to follow the food source, yeah. that's for sure. So the shad will head up a little bit more. And then as it gets much colder, then they'll, they'll really ball up as it gets super cold and be on the main lake mainly. That's when the float and fly comes. Your favorite way to fish. Oh, yeah. I, I love the flow and fly, man. I love it, Ian Chad. <laughs> Fishing the float and fly is kind of like watching, it's like sitting in front of the TV and you got that white static noise mm -hmm. on, and then occasionally it'll pop in like a football highlight and then it'll just go straight back. But if to you're not paying attention, you <laughs> I've had them too, like, oh, damn, I missed them, but oh, I love it. When, it. when it's February is a really best month, but yeah. when it's on, it's. Well, y'all are going to have to take me with you. Oh, you know what? We were talking yesterday. We I were uh, flower. deer hunting for the show and uh, going, heading back to the truck. Shot, I wasn't there, but uh, Tim and Chad were deer hunting for the show. Shot a deer, walking back to the truck to you know get ready to clean it. And sitting there at the truck is another truck of people who are getting ready to walk in and go hunting. And it was uh, Denny Crump. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd got a phone call from one of the guys out there. And uh, he, he was like, you know, I just wanted to make sure we didn't drive back then to the side-by-side -side and mess you guys up in the stand. I said, man, I wish you would have driven by the stand at side-by-side. -side. Mm -hmm. Chad would have been out there deer hunting and said, 
here comes the side by side, and they, what the, I think that's Denny Crump. <laughs> I was like, that'd have made for great I saw him and Joe B. Hall uh, when you were at the shows of their fishing license a long time ago. Oh, really? Him and Joe B. together? Yeah. That's yeah. Good. They, they were up there together. But the float and fly thing brought that up because uh, we were talking about maybe getting out. And he wants to go fishing. He wants to go smallmouth fishing. Um, and Chad beats me up. Smallmouth fishing. Well, he does. I mean, January and February. He's the Mac Daddy. Uh, 14, 14 hours on the boat in the freezing cold. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If if you sign on with Chad, <laughs> stretch, take your ibuprofen. <laughs> yeah. 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 Bring it two. Bring two meals. I learned my lesson. A gallon long, of water. I learned my lesson a long time ago. Somebody invited me on a fishing trip. It's like okay, so I didn't take a whole lot, and he was one of those. Mm -hmm. So we fished for like 15 hours. Mm -hmm. No, never again. I take the whole kitchen yeah, sink. No, yeah. no with, with Chad, there's no, you ready to call it? It's all, you ready to head to the next spot? Or go to the next spot? It's like, well, I'm, I'm seeing double. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bleeding tired. Oh, it's, okay. Man, I, I can't tell you, I don't think I've been more sore than getting off. Oh, the, oh no. Two, two days of fishing like that, man, I and mean, my legs are shot. Shot, back's hurt. Back, the back is hurt. And my hand me. gets tired if you're throwing a spinning rod all day. Yeah. yeah. Get so, tired. But I was thinking that uh, the float and fly might be, you know, Denny's getting up there. He's at 85, yeah. 86, yeah. something like that. So, I mean, if, if he can get out there and fish with Chad for 14 hours, he's a lot tougher man than I am. But a float and fly is a great technique for a situation like that. Yeah, because it's, it's pretty lightweight. And, yeah, I mean, you can fish for hours and hours and hours and sit down while you're doing it so you, your back doesn't hurt. That's but you know, a lot of people have gotten to think it's dirty, but one of the funnest things to do is go, go buy you a pound of medium shiners and get just a, a size number one octopus style gamagatsu or whatever hook and two split shot about 18 inches above it and just cast it on points and let that thing fall down. It's a ball because you can feel that shiner all of a sudden go. Like, oh, here it comes, bike, and then your line starts going sideways, and, and it's almost always a good fish. So, talking about Chad. And you can use large copy minnows if you can't find shiners, and you'll still catch them. Chad was, you know, I told you he went down and fished to a hollow for four days. And on one of those days, it was right before sunset, and he saw a boat of a couple guys he knew, and he went over there and he's talking to them, and they were fishing with shiners. And Chad said he sat there, he talked to him for 45 minutes. And he told them that they were, their boat was positioned wrong. He's like, your boat in the wrong spot just a little bit. The fish are going to be, you know, over sitting on that ledge. And those guys were just sitting there uh, fishing their shiners. And when they went to leave, Chad was like, all right, I'm going to show you where those fish were now. <laughs> he went over there and caught three and three casts. <laughs> and they, they were like, <laughs> yeah, Earth the people. If Chad Miles tells you, go fish over there. Go fish over there. You Don't be hard. You need to head that direction. He, he said they were like, we were just sitting there with uh, with live bait. And he was like, well, you were sitting here and the fish were here. <laughs> you know, So just bow positioning and stuff. That's how people become really good at fishing certain species. And man, it's all about knowing exactly where they want to be based on what time of year it is and the water temperature, where the food sources are, we and how to, how to position your boat, especially on those crystal clear lakes like mm -hmm. Dale and Cumberland and Laurel. It's just like hunting or anything else. you got to put your homework. To be successful, you got to put your homework in. Yeah. Like you, just don't, you just don't go out there and, and wear them out. No. Uh, that's why I know I got lucky yesterday catching those sturgeon. <laughs> Basically, I went down there. Watch and just, the scoots on those sturgeon in the back toward the tail. Oh, they can, they can um, light you up. The, the smaller one I caught, I mean, it was like sharp, mm -hmm. sharp bone. Well, a friend of mine caught one in a cast net. Uh, he's got a, one of the few private slips that you can get a company they got grandfathered in. And uh, he has green light. And I, yep. when you go down there at 4.30 in the morning, burning daylight, time to get bait. So we go down and throw the cast net to get our striper bait. And they were doing that and pulled out one that was, you know, probably 30, 31 inches long. 
and that scoot, he was trying to hold it and he had flip-flops on and hit him in the leg and hell, mm. I think they had to go to the emergency room because it cut the fire out of it. Yeah, and prehistoric fish are tough. I've never caught a sturgeon. Ever. Well, that's what I was saying. That's why I know I got, like you said, if you want to be successful, you know, you got to put your time into your homework. I think that's 100% true, and that's why I think I got lucky yesterday, because I was basically the equivalent of a deer hunter just walking out and sitting down. And, <laughs> and against, the big one walks out. Yeah, and just walk sitting down against a random tree in the middle of, you know, I got no idea what I'm doing or where I'm doing it at, and I just happened to sit down, and here comes that buck. Yeah, you're right. So, but yeah, I, think, I know a guy who targets sturgeon exclusively. That's his fish, and he holds the state records. He's got both state record sturgeon. And uh, I told him yesterday after I caught that one, I was like, man, first one I, I caught, uh, ask me if I knew you. And uh, he, that's, he tears them up. And if, I guarantee you if I was down there fishing with him, he could have made me 10 times better just by pointing out a couple little things to me. Yeah. But I say we wrap it up, guys. We've been going one, a while. One thing I wanted to well, and then we'll, we'll hush. But one of the things we get a lot of calls on this time of year is where can I hunt waterfowl legally? What lakes can I go on? And, you know, that's, that's kind of a hard one. A lot of the, the smaller state-owned lakes, a lot of them are open, but... You know, uh, your big reservoirs are. Taylor's yeah. going to say Taylorsville for right here close. You can duck hunt Taylorsville. Yeah, and, you know, Cumberland, you can duck. I mean, a lot, most of those big core, just there's certain areas, you know, and just check our website and look. Mm -hmm. There's certain areas sometimes that are closed to hunting. And don't be, show some sense. Don't hunt near a marina. Don't hunt by somebody's house. Yeah. Don't, you know, that causes a lot of conflict. It but, does. Uh, and it's just like this new coyote rig. It only takes a few bad public relation mm -hmm. snafus and you'll lose it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Waterfowl, man, people are big into it. Not really, our next podcast, Lee, let's try to talk waterfowl. Okay. It's something that slips my mind a lot because it's not something I, I ever really do. But When uh, it's on, it's so fun. Well, with how many people are big into it, we shouldn't neglect it at all. And uh, we need to get somebody who's, you know, maybe JB or Wes or yeah. somebody that can actually educate me on waterfowl. Um, Wes has a couple of really nice ponds. I'll tell you, here in central Kentucky, pond hunting is as good. If you can find one that has birds, that's as good I'll as tell anything. You, I worked in western Kentucky for the first part of most of my career, and that's in the sloughs, mm -hmm. standing up to your waist in, in swamp mud. And then I come up here in central Kentucky and work for a little bit. And the first time I went out and worked duck hunters, we just walked across the little farm to a pond. I said, this is heaven. Said, I'll, I'll check duck hunters all day long. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in the muck. Now, last uh, last thursday morning thanksgiving morning i was going deer hunting i was walking in and you know it was right as the sun was starting to come up and i heard a couple of shots i was like oh deer must be moving today I heard another shot i was like man these deer are on their feet and then i heard like seven shots and i was like <laughs> uh, something something's going on <laughs> the wood duck oh it was like 40 45 uh, shots before i got to my spot to sit down yeah. I was like, oh, it's waterfowl season yeah but i mean <laughs> but usually at least where i'm about 8 30 you're, you're going through the drive through and getting a, you know, yeah. sausage biscuit to yeah. bring them, you know. Well, that sounds fun. I'd like to get out there and do it, but let's call it quits for this one, Lee. All right, it's been a good one. Marcus, I appreciate you coming by. Thanks, Thanks for having me I appreciate you. All right, we'll do another one before long, Lee. All right, man.